Hey, Happy New Year. Welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. This is episode 11, and I think it's fitting that episode 11 starts a new year because I've been saying if I get through 10 episodes, I'll get through 100. So I've kind of got this mission to do 90 more now, and it's starting in 2019, starting fresh. Did you set goals for 2018? Did you hit them? Did you write new ones for 2019? Are there resolutions that you swear you're going to hit this year? That you're gonna are you gonna make those changes, or do you not give a shit? Do you just is is January first just another day? Maybe that's just as well. I don't know. I think the new year is an interesting time though, and and certainly a lot of people want to start new habits and get rid of old habits. And I think that's I think that's cool that we all sort of do that together and you know, maybe hold each other accountable a little bit. I know I I am somebody who writes down goals and I look at them frequently. It's not a once a year thing. I I kind of have a big goal sheet I write at the beginning of every year, but I, I sort of reflect on it all throughout the year. And I find that I do achieve some of the goals. There's plenty others that I don't achieve. And then there's that third category of, of goals that I realize I don't care about achieving anymore. You know, like I thought it would be cool to bench press 200 pounds, but then I realized that in order for my body to be able to do that, it's a a whole lot of work that I don't, that I, I think at a at a point doesn't benefit me as much as some other things, right? It's not worth, it's not worth the time. And I don't think I'm saying that I, I'm, well, no, I am giving up on it. Yeah. (laughs) It's exactly what I'm saying. I just think, I just think that the time it it takes to do that is better spent doing other things. I realize that I don't care about that goal anymore. And I do still do it. I go, I go and bench and it has improved, but I'm not a, I'm not a serious weightlifter. I just do it to, to stay in shape and to listen to music and podcasts in the morning and relax a little bit. And, and, start the day off and start the day off right but i don't i don't really care about how much of a weight i'm doing and and i do set little goals but i just it doesn't it doesn't matter you know so i i I cross goals off too that i realize maybe aren't worth the time for me personally i'd rather spend that time into booking more shows that's a more important goal to hit than uh than a bench press. I set a book reading goal. That was that was cool. I wanted to read or listen to 25 books. Yes, Audible fucking counts. All right, you're getting the information. It counts. It's fine. But I did read, you know, probably half of them and Audible half of them. So, so ha. Huh. Anyway, that's that's all I have to say about the new year. That's my little rant. If you if you set goals for yourself, I I hope that you achieve them and. I I hope that 2019 is a a great year for everybody. My guest on the podcast today is Samuel Lee. He's a singer-songwriter in Nashville. He does a bunch of different things. He works as a sideman uh at a re- for a record label, you know, as a independent contractor. They hire him to uh play guitar and do backing vocals for some of their artists. He's also been involved in the college circuit, which is something really interesting, I think, that we talk about. Getting into the college circuit is sort of a whole different animal. Um, There's a lot of overhead involved. You have to hire, if you do it the 
the way most people do it. You hire an agent and, or you, you know, get, get an agency to pick you up. I don't know. We talk more about that in the podcast. And you have to go to this, these showcases and pay to showcase and hopefully you get a showcase and then you have a 15 minute slot, I think is what he said, a 15 minute slot and you're playing for, you know, college student councils or whatever and then they book you but you spend all this overhead and you might you might spend four or five thousand dollars and not get booked at any colleges for your band or your solo act or you might get a ton of bookings and they can all pay a couple thousand dollars or more so sam talks a lot about that and i think that's an interesting thing if you're a touring musician to listen to Uh, sam has a nice perspective on it as someone who's done it several times and he said when he's gotten some college dates, it's really nice because he can use it sort of as an anchor date on tour. You know, there's not necessarily a lot of people at his college show, or maybe there is, but it's basically a money gig. You know, you get your $2,000 or whatever, and that allows you to take your band and maybe do a new region that you haven't toured in before. Um, he also is, he runs the Denver Songwriters Club with Brandon Whalen another uh, a local Denver musician actually and anytime Sam comes back to Colorado he usually sets up a songwriter in the round sort of thing and sort of just keeps the keeps the community together in Denver Sam did actually grow up in Denver and then uh, and then moved to Nashville several years ago so he's been a buddy of mine for some time and I'm excited to have him on the podcast also I want to mention since it is a new year please reach out to me at middleclassrockstargmail.com and let me know who you'd like to hear on the podcast in 2019. One thing I'd, I'd like to do maybe a little bit differently is along with these interviews that I'm doing here, I'd like to have some informative episodes where there's a specific topic and I have an expert on that topic come in and, and we talk about it. Uh, right now I'm working on getting a tax accountant in who specializes in taxes for musicians and I'm hoping to you know, do an episode where we can kind of sit down and say, okay, what all does a musician need to be doing to be doing their taxes correctly and and have an informative episode just all about that. So with that in mind too, let me know if there's any topic that you'd like to hear about or any person you'd like to hear from. And I'd appreciate that very much. I also want to say thanks to our sponsor, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering at Las Vegas, Nevada puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio restoration needs, you can reach out to PQ Mastering at www.pqmastering.com. Without further ado, here's Samuel Lee. Sam Lee, what's going on? Or Samuel Lee, should I call you by your... Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) Intro (laughs) music. You said that was the the beginning of the episode. I think that was... uh, (laughs) I think that was uh, fair usage, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's fair use or or what. Yeah, my uh, lawsuit, not yours. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Sam Samuel. I don't really care at this point. <laughs> on Spotify, it's Sam, yeah, Samuel. Yeah, on, Sp- on Spotify and all the other things, it's Samuel Lee. Mm, if I was if I was having you, if I was having you on my show, right, you'd be Samuel <laughs> Lee. Yes, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> 
I know you. I've known you as Sam for a while. So does everybody who knows me in any way personally. Personally. <laughs> Nobody calls you Yule, though. It's always <laughs> no. just the first half of the name. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So you should. You should just call me Yule. For I'm going to start calling you Yule. <laughs> um, so you're home for, we're doing this interview on 12-27-2018. We're getting ready for the new year. Um, I don't think the Mayans predicted anything too awful happening, but we'll... Find well, out. yeah, I mean, there's there's a good chance that the math has been off the whole time, and like, really, our time is is uh, is super precious, and we're just sitting here wasting it. It's totally possible, yeah, it's that, possible. It, that the end is nigh, you know. Um, but so you're you're home for the holidays? Yeah, just a few days. Uh, we we kind of decided to. Uh, I've got a, a fairly busy January and and a, and a fundraiser in like three days, and so I'm just we we kind of my girlfriend and myself came home to. Uh, spend a few days with our heads in the snow just uh, like we i have a little cabin outside idaho springs and we've been just hanging out and not taking showers and you know great what does she think about that well uh i think i think the first time i suggested we go up to my cabin she was kind of like man that's some like white people bullshit um <laughs> but <laughs> but uh but i i don't know i think i think she's won over now i think she really likes it a lot and uh and i mean certainly it's it's my favorite place on the on the planet so i get out there as much as i can i mean it's just a it's you know one room with a loft and like a propane furnace and you know like a little wood burning stove i mean you know it's it's an old timey log cabin for sure wow <laughs> how long have you had that uh, man, it's, I mean, it's been in my family for, uh, 25 years or something like that. Um, wow. I mean, we, we got it when I was a little kid. Um, and, uh, and, and now, now that my folks don't live in the country anymore, like I, it's me and my brother are really the only people who use it. <laughs> wow. Mm. Your parents aren't in the country anymore? No, they live in New Zealand. Yeah. They moved, they moved away a few years ago. That's so cool. Do you yeah. visit them there ever? Yeah. I, um, I actually, I, uh, I played what I, I think was my first international gig, so to speak, uh, when I went out to visit them like a few years ago. Uh, they, they 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 moved out, they moved away, and I think that would have been 2015. And uh, I think fall of 2015 is when they when they made the move. And that winter, like 2015, 2016, uh, we went out there for Christmas, and I I played my first gig uh, internationally out there, and uh, and then went and did a, a tour in Australia thereafter, um, which was sweet. Now, Super did cool. your parents have something against you playing in Australia after playing in New Zealand? You know, I don't think there's nearly as much friction there as people think. Yeah, uh, I mean, the accents are just different enough where I could see a, there being a war. The The thing is, is that, like, I think the... I think that the Kiwis have like enough disdain for the Aussies and the Aussies are just like, they've got their hair on fire, you know, like, I don't think they have enough. I don't think that culturally they've got the bandwidth to really care about something as small as New Zealand, you know, near neighboring by, but, uh, and, and I think that, and I think the Kiwis kind of just have their noses in the air about the whole thing. So I don't know that there's really that much of a, that much of a, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the Irish and the Scots or, or something like that where like, you know, there's age old deep enmity or anything. Thing, you know <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> like i don't yeah i think uh but honestly uh i i mean if you've never been you have to go new zealand is bonkers it's incredible <laughs> i'd love to check it out ever since i saw flight of the concords <laughs> yeah it's really just the whole continent <laughs> that's, that's the whole, that's, they that's all, really they're all the hilarious yeah. everyone <laughs> yeah. um 
that that's really neat that you came back and you still have the cabin and the family and stuff. I know yeah. you've invited me up there yeah. uh, once or twice, and yeah. I uh, the the part where I decided to turn around and not make an appearance was the part <laughs> where. Your maps, your phone will take you to the gas station, yes. and then from there, <laughs> there's some dirty directions. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's it is a cabin in the woods, and yeah. uh, and and that's kind of what I like about it. You know, it's it, it's. Uh, there's a little, there's just enough barrier to entry that, you know, you kind of have to want it. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, and I, I, I mean, that's what I like about it is that it's, I mean, it's only 45 minutes away from, from Denver, but it's, you know, at the foot of a mountain, like, you know, you, you, yeah. you kind of have to, um, and, and we, we got the car stuck in the snow on, on the way there this time around had to, you know, I spent a good portion of Christmas day digging, digging the car out so that we could, you know, <laughs> get out of there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, Glad you made it back. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you grew up in Colorado. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And la- what, what was what was your childhood like? I mean, you had a cabin. That's pretty cool. I was a poor Latino boy. Um, no, I I don't know. I you know, I went to <laughs> Cherry Creek High School and yeah. Uh, at least for I, I went to Cherry Creek High School for a year. Uh, I yeah. I went to a prep school there after uh, out on the East Coast. Uh, it was funny. I, I heard you talking. Uh, with the the um, forgive me, what was her name? Jenny Shaham. Jenny, um, you were you were talking with Jenny about uh, that you were like, oh, well, like I don't know, I don't have an interesting story. Like I didn't get expelled or like go from one place to another. Like my parents are still married, and it was like, and I was I was chuckling to myself like, oh my god, that's I'm total like I'm that train wreck of a person with like an overly interesting you know childhood. It that's was, why you're here. It was you know yeah <laughs> depression and fights and drugs and trouble and different schools and nonsense you know um i was definitely a disaster <laughs> um let's talk about it sure <laughs> uh so tell me about your childhood yeah yeah exactly this is this is not counseling because i have nothing useful to say but um so when did the when did the troubled childhood problems begin I'm I'm just gonna ballpark it at eight eight years old. I think that's like the the time that I remember the the first time that I remember like consistently getting in trouble for doing things that I knew better than to do. And uh, were you TPing the neighbors' houses or what? It was you know it started it always starts off small, right? That's how you know that's how that's how you get hooked. It's yeah. that 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 little adrenaline rush. No, I you know I it was like. I was a sad kid. I was really sensitive. And so if I ever got, I, I don't actually think that, uh, you know, as, as I was growing up, I don't think I was disliked necessarily. Maybe I was, I, I don't know. Um, but it always felt like I was cause I was so sensitive. So if anybody ever said anything, anything mean to me, I would like hold on to that shit, you know, yeah. and carry it around with me for years. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was, I, I don't know. I was a pretty sad kid. Um, I was really, yeah, I was really sensitive and, and, um, and so, uh, you know, when you're a, when when you're sad that young, I guess the thing that makes sense is to is to act out. I don't know. My my brother was like a great kid. He was like a, you know, perfect child or whatever. And 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 I guess I just went the other way. Yeah, older uh, brother. Yeah, my, my much older brother. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was twelve years older than me. So he was kind of. I we we didn't grow up together. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it, by the time I was I don't know twelve or thirteen, I was smoking and drinking and, you know, having my first experiences with drugs. And I was, you know, super sad and, and, you know, naturally like music, like for, for, for every, for every musician who has this 
you know, cookie cutter, I was a troubled child story, like music is the thing, right? That's, you know, you spend all these hours in your bedroom crying or whatever, and you're listening to, I don't know, pop punk music. <laughs> what were the bands for uh, you? It's funny. It, there, it, it's a funny cross section, right? Because there's, there was the, the stuff that was relevant at the time, the Blink-182s and the Green Days and the, oh my God, Lincoln Parks and shit like that, right? Fall Out Boy and whatever, you know, what have you, the the, yeah. the real pop punk emo shit. But, uh, but because my brother was older and because my dad really loved old classic rock, like I just fell in love with shit that happened in the 60s and 70s and so that was actually the bulk of what I was listening to was it was cream and and uh, I was totally into Led Zeppelin and I loved the Eagles and uh, Credence Clearwater and James Taylor and yeah. Jackson Brown and and Paul Simon I mean you know that was that was my shit you know I, I remember um my parents had uh the, I I remember the the the, the one that I never like latched on to or, or I guess there were two that I never latched on to until much later uh and I when I when I went back and I realized oh my god I used to listen to that as a kid it was Joni Mitchell's Blue album and uh Carol King's Tapestry right they they those used to be playing like when my dad was working on shit in the garage or you know whatever uh and uh or my mom was cleaning around the house or something like those, those are two albums that were regularly played and I never got it. You mm -hmm. know, I know I, I was never into it. And then as, as an adult, uh, you know, whatever, whenever it was, I don't know when it was, but sometime as an adult, I went back and I, and, and I, and I had one of those albums. I had tapestry played for me and, and it blew my mind. I was yeah. like, Oh my God, I know these songs by heart. How do I know these songs already? They're incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I grew up, you know, I was like a little mini rock and roll historian at like 13 years old. Like I was totally into it, you know? And so much of that was that like, these were people who uh, seemed to have the same sort of affliction that I did, but they were like, they, they were doing drugs and people loved them. And it seemed like sort of people loved them uh, regardless of anything that they did, you know, almost, almost unconditionally, you know, and of course that wasn't true. And so many of them ended up dying of drug overdoses and things like that, uh, you know, and, uh, but it, it yeah, I, don't know, I, I think that was kind of the, the template that, that set me, you know, that, that set me into music was, was uh, this idea that, um, that you could do this thing that made you feel good and, uh, and everybody would just love you for it. <laughs> yeah. You know? And of course, like, you know, as soon as you start doing it, you realize that's not true and you're terrible at it. And it takes a really long time to get even good enough that people will appreciate it. <laughs> right. Right. Sure. I'm sure. I'm not sure that I'm even there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. Um, and so you're getting it, you're a, knew all this stuff about music and we're starting to play as well, but also getting into some, into some trouble. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the time I was, uh, well, whatever, 14, I guess I, I, I did one year at Cherry Creek high school here and, and then I went to a prep school and, um, right around that time, right around 13, 14, like, you know, I picked up a bass and, um, because I was a nightmare, my parents sort of shipped me away to different friends and family members for short periods of time to like, I don't know, not have to deal with me or, or take time to deal with their own thing. And I spent a few weeks with my uncle out in Washington and, and he's a, he's a bluegrass picker and, and a Martin guitar collector. And so I just spent, um, he owned a little guitar shop out there. And, and so I spent every day 
um, hanging around and working in his guitar shop for, I don't know, a month or something. And he kind of taught me my first chords. And, um, then when I, when I did go away to school, um, man, the, I, I like, I had a couple of loves and like, it was, I, I, I was, I was super into sports. I love football. I love lacrosse and basketball. And I, you know, I played all those things, but I, um, I was never like a stud, you know, I was never a star. Um, but, um, but I, but I loved sports and I loved music. And so I spent, that was all, that was all that I did. That was, all, that was how I spent my time in high school was because, you know, you're living on campus. Mm-hmm. It's not like we got to go do things elsewhere. So I spent my free time learning how to play the guitar and, you know, I don't know, practicing sporting things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what was your sport? Uh, it was, it was all three. It was lacrosse and football and basketball. Okay. Uh, I still play lacrosse. I played it in okay. college and I still play it out in Nashville. You did it in college? You played lacrosse in college? Yeah. yeah. For, um, here and it was, it was, uh, it was here in Denver at, uh, at Metro State. Really? Yeah. So I guess I was going to lead into the, to the college thing anyway, after high school, you're mm-hmm. in college you're playing lacrosse for Metro. Were you? What were you majoring in? Were you a music major then? Uh, so I actually started as a music major at Western State um, for one semester in Gunnison. In Gunnison yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I went there for all the wrong reasons. Uh, I went there because the captain of my high school football team was like he was one of my buddies, and he was going there to play football. And so I went there and visited. My brother lived nearby, and so I was just like, screw it, like I'll go and check it out. And they had a lacrosse team that I could play for, and so I just. I went there for like no good reason, you know, yeah. uh, because it was cheap and whatever, you know? Um, and I, it was a total disaster. Uh, and I, you know, drank and drugged myself into a sort of a situational hole, kind of lost all my friends and you know, everything went, everything went badly wrong, uh, pretty quickly. And, uh, and so I ended up, I, I, I got sober, uh, near the end of that first semester after a, uh, you know, I, I had a pretty bad car wreck and a bunch of other bad shit happened, um, that I brought on myself and, uh, and car wreck and, you did after drinking. Um, no, actually, uh, it was a car wreck. I was going through withdrawals at the time. Um, I was, uh, I was, I was, a, it was a couple of days since I'd had a drink and, uh, you know, I mean, anyway, it was, uh, it was an ugly thing and I ended up having to, um, you know, spend a little bit of, you know, spend a bunch of time back home and I was, terrified of the world and couldn't couldn't get my head straight or you know around drugs and alcohol and everything eventually i did get sober and uh and and the car wreck had kind of busted my leg up Hmm. um so i couldn't really do any of the things that i was accustomed to doing i couldn't ski or play sports or really even go out and you know go out and play shows or anything like that you know um but my first day sober i played uh my very first like paid gig and it was like 50 bucks for like a four-hour gig it was ridiculous yeah um it was at some like crappy bar and whatever it was really bad so, this was in um this was this was in gunnison this was in gunnison um, still and yeah i was i was i was uh, 19 i guess and um and i've stayed sober since then um uh, it's been uh, a little over a little over 12 years something wow. like that um but but yeah so i eventually i after uh, after a whole bunch of other nonsense and i i went to work for a semester at a at another prep school and you know got my legs under me and got sober and figured out how to i don't know be a person uh or at least started to figure out how to be a person and uh i went back to to um, cu denver and uh, and i met an old high school friend of mine, um, Nasser, uh, he's from, uh, the band Eldrin here in town. And, um, he and I started a band together or started screwing around in his, you know, at his parents' house or whatever at 19 or 20 years old. Um, 
we were, you know, playing the guitar and starting to write songs and played a show and people seemed to enjoy it. And so we like, we're like, oh, we're a band now, you know, and we came up with a dumb band name and which was, uh, oh man, Um, we were the Death Hickey Blues. The Death Hickey Blues. Were you playing, were. were you playing music that sounded like this particular genre? No, like, <laughs> what is Death Hickey Blues? Okay, this is like a whole. We I could I could take I could take like a good long chunk to explain this. The very long and short of it is, uh, when we were sixteen, we were driving around in town, getting high in a friend of mine's car. We picked up a hitchhiker. She was crazy and she was mute, and she left in in our car in my, my friend's car, a journal. And she was, I think she was like schizophrenic or something. I mean, she really was troubled. And this journal was just an expose of like the darkest reaches of the human mind. It was it was weird. And, uh, and we were totally just mesmerized by it. I mean, there was fecal matter and blood in there. Like it was weird. And so we decided one I'm day, hearing several good band names, by the way, right? over the last 15 <laughs> seconds. But... Uh, so, uh, my good friend, Stephen Hickey was, uh, it was his car. And so we decided that that evening that when we were older and we got good at playing music, we would start a band where, uh, really that, where we would just play music and in the breaks between, you know, we would play for a few bars and then we would have a, have a, a rest. And, and every time the, the music would take a, would take a rest, Stephen would read out of this journal and that was going to be and and we were we were going to call it the death hickey blues uh and uh and 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 you know we're whatever we're like 15 and we're high as a kite and you know so we're coming up with a dumb idea and so when i met back up with nasser all these years later i was like dude do you remember this crazy thing and so that was what we decided to call our band and man we sucked um. <laughs> well, it's, it does truly sound like a genre. In fact, I think right. I have a friend who plays Death Hickey Blues. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're you're now at CU Denver. Yeah. Um, was this your last collegiate stop? It was uh, it, at least for the time being. I'm I'm considering going back. Did um, you ever finish? I didn't finish. No. Gotcha. I, um, and and the way that story basically ends was is, is uh, you know I was uh, I was in school and I was hating it. Um, I was, I felt like I was really engaged with what was going on in my classrooms. And I always felt like I was the only one. I felt like I was the only person, including the professors that even gave a shit about what we were doing there. And I got so disenchanted. I stopped going to classes. Um, I was playing on the lacrosse team and, um, and I just felt like a lot of pressure. Um, this was, I was at Metro. This is, well, I was playing for Metro, but I was at CU Denver. I, okay. Um, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, uh, and, 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 you know, I was also, I was also, um, getting sober and like, you know, that's a whole big emotional thing. Anyway, I basically had a mental breakdown. I was just like, I feel like there's too much going on. You know, I was working jobs and going to school and playing lacrosse and getting sober and playing in this band. And the only thing that was bringing me joy was playing in the band. So I dropped everything else. Mm. I just freaked out one day. And like a week later I dropped out of school and, uh, and like we went on our first little, like one show tour run that we thought was like a tour. Um, and, 
and yeah, so I mean, that was it was two and a half years with that band, and uh, and college ended, and uh, or college ended for me, um, and and we totally got immersed in the Denver music scene, and you know, made all these friends or reconnected with people that we had you know known in high school, um, and and uh, and and sort of became a part of what was what felt like, and still sort of feels like looking back was this really cool burgeoning music scene that um, you know there was a lot of really awesome acts that kind of came out of our group of friends. Um, yeah. And, and so then at this point after the, the mental breakdown and <laughs> leaving CU Denver, um, leaving the lacrosse team. Yeah. Uh, is that, what did you do at this point? Where does this, when does Nashville come into play for you? Well, so Nashville was five years ago. Um, that, that whole thing happened when I was about 21 so that happened nine, ten, yeah, nine years ago. Okay. Um, so there was there was four or five years there um, where you know that was my my life was being in the Denver music scene, and the band broke up you know pretty you know pretty quickly within a couple of years we we broke up. Um, Eldrin started shortly thereafter. Um, it was actually it was like a couple of the guys from my band, um, uh, and 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 I. You're had, still friends with those guys. Yeah, I'm still. They're still. They're my family, you know, and um, and uh, and I had decided I was going to do the solo thing, and so I got in touch with the guy who had produced our band's EP and was like, "I want to make a solo record," you know, thinking that I was like that, that I had any measure of artistic vision or enough, uh, you know, m- musical. Uh, voice to you know or technical skill to like make a record and I didn't I had none of those things uh, but I barreled into it and kind of figured it out and and um, and the guys who who were in uh, the Death Hickey Blues uh, and some of our like peripheral friends like that the, they made up the first iteration of what was my backing band basically and uh, because they had more sense than me and because I was probably a insufferable jerk at the time um they ended up being like hey we want to start our own new band and we're gonna go you know make music that we like and not play with you anymore yeah um which is good it's a great thing they did because uh they ended up becoming one of the raddest bands that have happened in denver in the last 10 years yeah um you know eldrin's been incredible right and uh and so uh you know, I, I played shows, I, I toured heavily, like, there were a couple of years there before I moved where, like, I was six months out of the year I was on the road Solo. or something like that. A lot of it, well, I mean, a lot of it was touring with a band, but it was, you know, as a solo artist. So yeah. And I did some solo touring, too, um, as, you know, I, I would take whatever I could get my hands on, you know? Right. And it was all the hustle, it was just, you know working as hard as I possibly could and pushing and trying to get people to care. And I, you know, I, I, I made a, I made a full length record with a couple of friends of mine and we spent uh, the better part of 2012 working on that. Um, released it in 2013 and, uh, nothing happened <laughs> right? <laughs> because I didn't know how to release a record and like, I don't know, it probably, it wasn't even that good. You know, uh, I spent this year working on it. I learned a lot, but, uh, after that, um, I basically, I moved like a year, I, I moved like, like a month after the 2013 release of that full length record. I was like, screw it. Denver doesn't have anything left to offer me. And I think really what it was is that I didn't really have anything left to offer Denver, <laughs> you know? So you decided 
at that point to abandon us in yeah. the Denver music scene. Yeah. No, just kidding. Um, and you, you made the move to Nashville, and you, you chose Nashville over L.A. or New York or, I don't Strictly know, Portland, Austin. Because I was poor. That's all. It was yeah. because like Nashville was the cheapest option of the available music cities. <laughs> Sir, yeah, yeah. Well, the cost of living in some of these places are a little ridiculous. It's wild, and 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 of course now that's no longer the case in Nashville. Nashville has gotten much more expensive and significantly more populous and crowded in the last several years since I moved there. Yeah, um, I've I've gotten to watch this renaissance happened there that's i mean you know there are those like there are those musical moments in time right the uh, 1970 through 1973 in laurel canyon in west hollywood in la right um and the uh, seattle between you know 19 whatever 90 and 1994 right uh, austin texas in the you know at the in uh, around the turn of the century where all those like indie rock bands are happening right like Nashville's doing that right now. It's that it's one of those it's one of those musical moments in Nashville right now. It's it's been happening for the last couple of years. It's incredible to be a part of. What what is it that's happening exactly? I think because the cost of living and because the cost of running a business is so is so much lower there. Um and because country music has had this formula that has kept them afloat in a way that the rest of the music industry has not been able to replicate. I think because of those reasons and because of the quaintness of the town, or I don't really know why, but people... Small town, big city kind yeah, of Yeah, you know, I, I think people are just flocking there. And the best players and the best writers in the business are living in Nashville now. You know, not all of them, but a bigger chunk of them than than you would think based on how big of a market it is or how big of a city it is, you know. Do you and, think it's it's getting it's going to get too saturated in that way or do you think it's just going to grow in a in a positive direction? Well, I think we I think everybody's kind of everybody talks about it like that, you know, like oh, you know, I mean everybody talks about it. I'm like the same thing is true here where everybody's like, "Oh, well, shit, Denver's gotten too big and we wish everybody would leave, you know, and uh, we've, we've passed the point of no return or, you know, what, and I, I, maybe that's true of Nashville um, in the same way that it, ha that it is in Denver. But uh, by the same token, like, I'm, pre I'm a pretty firm believer that um, truly special art will be heard one way or another. And so whether it's saturated or not is almost immaterial. Um, I think it's a good thing that like there's a whole bunch of people, there's always going to be bad songwriters and players and whatever everywhere you go. Yeah. But if you're going to concentrate a whole bunch of talent into a small place, sure, some people who deserve attention aren't going to get it. But by that same token, like it's bringing the bar up a little bit. You know, I mean, I, to me, Nashville, at least when I moved there, Nashville was, uh, I, I, I equated it with bro country, you know, right. with like this shitty shell of a genre, you know, that was full of Florida Georgia line and, and, right. you know, Jake Owen and Luke, what's his name? And, you know, and, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was, you know, just this rehashed overproduced, stuff that was you know that, that lyrically was all the same and 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 there was no poetry there was no thoughtfulness in it you know um that was what i thought about now you know that that or that was sure that was what i came to believe think a lot of, of people who know? aren't in that inner circle picture nashville that way right and, Still. 
and well, and, and because they are still cranking out that crap. But fortunately, the other side of the city is that there is that there really are some of the best writers in the world um, who are living there now, and and certainly a lot of the best players because because session work pays really well, and right. a lot of session work is happening in Nashville. Yeah, you know, they make records like in a day there sometimes, so like you can. Get a, you can do a lot of work and get paid really well for it as a session player if you're good enough. And so I think that because so much talent has converged there, there's also been this wave of um, sort of Americana that has erupted from what was this dead soulless version of country music. And so now we have people like Isbell and we have uh, you know yeah. I, I think Stapleton is kind of a he's his, he he's his own like weird fruit you know like the, yeah. the, it's its own thing because he, because he because he uh, for, by all accounts likes the 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 stadium country thing right but you listen to him and it's you know it, it's this heartwarming like this is what I wish country was you know but you've got the Casey Musgraves of the world coming out and making spectacular art you know and and brandy carlisle's not you know she, she she's from washington obviously but you know making making records with uh you know with dave cobb i really i think you can attribute a lot of what has become the new face of country music in americana i think you can you can point a lot of that to dave cobb yeah with sturgill simpson's records too and, Bell and, yeah you know and and uh and there's a singer songwriter scene you know all these people are writing songs. They're writing hundreds of songs every year and they're getting good at it. You know, even people that moved to town and weren't good at it, like me, you know, like, I don't know, I'm still not very good at it, but there's people who have moved to town and have gotten good and have become incredible singers and songwriters. Yeah. There's a group of folks that, that I'm wild about uh, in town that, that, that I've gotten to play some shows with and write some songs with that are some of the most unbelievably talented individuals I could have ever dreamed to be around, you know? And, uh, man, like it's a, anyway, it's a cool moment to be That's a part so of. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, it's stuff, stuff, stuff's happening. Yeah. Do you worry about being one of those Talking about the market getting bigger, do you worry about being one of those people that deserves attention and doesn't get it? If I'm honest, I, I, I did for a really long time, up until like whatever, two weeks ago. Seriously, like I, I think I had a thing, you know, I, I've, I have felt like, man, I work so, I work, you know, I worked so hard and I've written all these songs and I really like believe in myself. I really think that like, like why isn't, you know, why doesn't anybody care, you know? Um, and first of all, it's not true, right? There are some people who care. Um, and if even a handful of people care about our music, then it's worthwhile, right? Because it's the only indispensable thing at this point. Art is the only thing that is going to continue to have value for the rest of human history, Yeah. right? So if we contribute to it in any sort of way, then like we're valuable. Um, and there has to be mediocre stuff in order for there to be good stuff to reflect it back to, you know? So... I think a, uh, a few weeks ago, I was really kind of spending some time evaluating because, because like I said, some of my friends are kicking ass right now and they're making amazing music. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, is it just that I'm not good enough? And we've all had that conversation with ourselves, right? Or with other people, right? Right. Are you, am I focus? Am I spreading myself too thin? Right. Am yeah. I, you know, what, what am I doing wrong? Right. We're always wondering, what am I doing wrong? And I'm, 
I think I've, you know, I've, I've done a lot of stuff and I've gotten a lot of, I've gotten opportunities to do a lot of really cool stuff and a lot of really not super cool stuff over the course of the last decade and change that I've been playing music as a professional in quotations. Um, but I got to this place a few weeks ago, you know, and I was kind of taking stock and recognized that, man, like everyone that I'm inspired by who's doing really great stuff isn't asking those questions. Or at least I can't tell that they're asking those questions. Right. They're just shooting from the fucking hip. And so it. I want to do that, you know? I think, and, 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 and I think that, you know, the, the less attention we pay to, um, I'm just positing a theory here because I have no evidence to back it up. But I think that if we want to make music or art in general, that is meaningful, that has any kind of impact or relevance or anything, but that people are going to get excited about, it has to be free of motive. You know, it has to be free of like, am I making this the right way or with the right people? Am I like climbing the social ladder or anything? And that's, it's idealistic nonsense, probably. Um, I'm probably wrong, but like, but I think it's the way that I would like to go forward, you know, because I've, I've gotten to do a bunch of stuff, you know, I've played easily over a thousand shows in the last 10 years. Uh, I've toured my balls off and uh, I've gotten to play, you know, open for big acts and play solo at tiny little clubs and, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, do the college thing like we talked about, but, uh, a lot to know. be said for that. Yeah. And I, yeah. I do want to jump in too, yeah, uh, on the touring, uh, as somebody who's done a lot of independent touring, yeah. um, you're not traveling around the country with a road crew and a bus. Right. Um, you're borrowing vans and uh, right. and and doing it that way, uh, which a lot of people are still doing. That's that's what we're still doing. Right. I love it. I love it. I no love doubt. it. It's um, romantic and it's also totally inefficient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, but but you know, but there's a reason people are still doing it. No doubt. You know. No doubt. Um, so I, I wanted first to talk a little bit about is it NACA NACA and sure. DACA? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so see. NACA is a convention that happens um, where a bunch of colleges go mm-hmm. and – well, you know what? You explain it. You've been there. I just read about it. Okay. So the, 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 the short version is there are uh, – every school – has admissions fees, right? You you pay tuition, and a part of that tuition goes to a student activities fee, and and there's a board that controls that the, those activities fees, and they book entertainment on campus, right? Everybody who's ever gone to college in the United States knows that there are musicians and comedians and magicians and whatever nonsense that comes to campus. Right. Well, the way that that gets booked is through NACA or one of the other college, you know, booking associations. So they send the kids at they they send these schools um send their uh student activities boards and usually a faculty advisor uh to or sometimes just a faculty advisor to these conferences um and the schools pay the conferences to be able to send their students there and see the acts and the acts pay the conferences to come and showcase in front of the kids and so we uh you know it's it's a way for uh it's a way to facilitate the colleges seeing the talent and the talent 
connecting with the colleges so that those things can get booked. And, you know, the fees are good. Um, it's a fairly expensive thing uh, to, to do, you know, as, as an artist, for the artists out there. who are, So as an artist, you either go solo or with your band, and right? you, get, uh, you get 15 minutes to perform mm-hmm. for basically people who represent the student body of all right. these different universities. Exactly. And then you have a booth, and you're represented by a booking agent. Yeah. And you try to get booked. Mm-hmm. So, the overhead, um, the overhead can approximate the overhead. If if I'm in a local band or a local right. solo artist that wants to go to the NACA conference, and where is this? It happens all over the place. They okay. move it around. There's it around. there are regional conferences, right? Uh, Colorado, uh, for instance, is in the western region. So, okay. and the western region is 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 naturally the largest of the bunch. Um, and it's all of, you know, California and the Pacific Northwest and all that kind of thing. There's also the Midwest and the Central, which is Texas and Oklahoma. and so a bunch cetera, of different cetera, regions you know. and stuff. And they've got a national one as well. Okay, so if you're a solo artist and you want to go, yeah. or, or a full band, mm-hmm. the purpose is to get booked in as many different, uh, as many universities as possible. Sure. And they, they pay pretty well. And I they know uh, if you're a reader trying to remember the, oh, it's How to Make It in the New Music Business by mm. Ari Herstand. Okay. He has a whole chapter on, uh, it's a great book. He has a whole chapter on the college circuit. So if you want okay. it as a listener, if you want more detail on it, um, I recommend that. But if I'm a solo artist or a band and I want to go to the conference, get booked in the college circuit, what is the what is the overhead like? Can you give a approximate I mean, it's, dollar figure? Sure. I mean, it's... it's uh... Honestly, I mean, obviously it's going to depend, but uh, you'll pay about $100 to uh, submit to showcase, to apply for the showcase. You submit a music video. So that's, I mean, if we're talking about full overhead, you're going to have to pay to make a music video of one kind or another, because that's how you submit. Of a cover song. Of anything. It could be an original music video, Mm -hmm. but most people do submit covers because that's oftentimes what gets selected. Yeah. Yeah. and so you pay the hundred dollars for the you know submission fee, and then if you are selected, you have to pay about a thousand dollars for a showcase. Now some of the showcases cost a little bit more, some cost a little bit less, but a thousand dollars is probably about your ballpark for the actual showcase fee. Now if you're not with an agency, then you're also going to have to pay for attendance, like your actual attendance badge, right? Uh, the booth. Uh, that you get, you know, as well as all the promotional materials that you have at your booth, electricity at the booth, et cetera, et cetera. A vast majority of people are represented by an agent at these things. Yes. Uh, it's really hard to do it by yourself. Some people do it, but it's desperately difficult and very expensive. So if, you, if you're if you a musician who wants to get on this circuit, you, uh, you probably want to submit... Google it and submit yeah. to some different hit booking a, agents. Hit up an agency. You know, there's a handful of them. Uh, most of them do a pretty good job. You know, I, I I don't know that there's any one that sticks out in my mind as like, man, these guys are stellar. But like, I you know, most of the most of the agencies do a pretty good job. They take twenty percent uh, commission and they book you at this at the schools. Usually, um, if they're a good agency, that means they have relationships as well with some of the talent buyers, with some of the advisors and stuff. And yeah. what what can you expect to get for these gigs on average? Well, I, like 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 I was I was saying earlier, um, I was a little bit on the pricey end. Uh, I don't know why my agency priced me that way. Uh, it was probably a little much, but um, 
my solo rate for a solo show for 45 minutes was, was $1,500. And my full band rate was, was between two and 2,500, um, for a, for a full band show. So Um, it was, it's, it's somewhat difficult to get these shows and expensive to go to the conference. But if you get these shows, you're, uh, you're in good shape. I mean, they pay, they pay well. There's a good payoff. And I mean, certainly the, the payoff, doesn't happen for months thereafter, right? Because you'd book, say, you know, the, the, the conferences all happen in the fall, fall and winter. And sometimes it's for the spring semester, but usually it's for the following fall, right? Um, and you, I mean, the, 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 you book months and months and months out. And then, uh, you know, and, and, and then once you play the thing, like it take, it can take months even sometimes to get paid so what i found financially uh was that i actually ended up in 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 a it it raised my standard of living i want to be i want to be clear that like it did i did make i made more money than i'd ever made as an artist before and it was really cool i got to fly places for the first time you know i was doing fly dates instead of driving all over the country it was great it also started a debt loop that i'm still clawing my way out of Mm. Uh, because I was having to borrow, you know, credit or whatever um, to pay for the showcases and the overhead of the showcases. And then and then you've got to pay to actually travel to go do the shows. Right. I mean, they- so what's to stop you? What's to stop you from calling up? Uh, I don't know. University of Buffalo, random, drew it out of a hat. Right calling their you know student advisor and saying hey i'm a musician i'm really awesome let me send you a youtube video if you like it book me for a show nothing at all is stopping you from doing that and if you can do that then absolutely you should i um, before i ever got into naca there were a couple of universities that i that i was able to do that at um i i knew a an old denver promoter uh his name is ben davis and he's a Scene. He's one of the best people that have ever worked in the Denver music scene. He is now at Arizona State. Um, for a little while, he was at Carnegie Mellon, and he would book me at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Wow. Um, because because he was a friend of mine from Denver. But uh, by and large, um, and you were the dumbest person on campus at Carnegie Mellon. No doubt. <laughs> oh my God, those kids are smart. What well, the kid who was the, I, the last the last time I played there, the kid who was mixing me, who was like running my sound, he was he designed the app to run sound off of an iPad digitally or That's whatever. Insane. He also designed an app to get him to that would tell him on his phone when the public bus was going to show up at his bus stop so that he could get to class on time. He designed an app for that shit. That's Those kids are cool. brilliant. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, there's nothing to stop you from doing it and you should do it if you can. There's a big bureaucracy at almost every campus and students especially the students who man the phones and you know and you can actually get in touch with they're not the ones who make the decisions by and large you know uh, the the faculty advisors really are the ones who are the arbiters of this thing and most of them they want to deal with the agents that they have you know relationships with right they've already got something worked out so it does get substantially harder i just think that I, i was it's interesting because it is a great way to make income, but also that's a it's a big risk too in it, and uh, and uh, you know I like to think I'm decent at PR, you know, sure. if I get somebody on I the phone, but but hey, you know I, I that's that's the system, right. that's what they have worked at, out. At some level, it's you know it's being a cold caller, you know, it's being a it's being a, a, a 
you know, door knocking salesman, as opposed to being a salesperson who knows the person already wants to buy something from you because they've done it three times before. Right. You know, sure. The, the latter is always going to get more business. Yeah. You know, and so I, that that's the reality of that thing. That said, man, if you can do it without an agent, that 20% really comes in handy. Seriously. <laughs> um, you've also done a, a lot of, uh, well, and I guess I should mention about these, uh, about these college shows more than anything, because I don't, I don't take it that you're getting a huge, uh, audience at them all the mm-hmm. time more than anything they probably work as good anchor dates for you to tour off of correct exactly yeah the shows are not generally speaking super well attended um they're just meeting budget yeah i mean and they have to get rid of this money you know sometimes i'm playing look some of these college shows have been bonkers some of them have been so incredibly cool where like the whole student body was out to see me crammed into an auditorium and it and you know i felt like a total rock star right and then i would play like the next day a show where i'm by myself in a cafeteria playing for like three kids on the student activities board two of whom were doing their homework you know what i mean like there's definitely been there's been there's been just as many of the latter and probably more so than there have been of the former. Yeah, um, that's a good good way to get out to it, get yeah. out someplace, though. I suppose uh, if you're going to do some other no dates. Doubt. And the anchor, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's a good anchor date if you can if you can set up a tour that way. It, I I did that a few times, and when I was able to make that work, it was a really cool thing. Wow, um, and and you've also gone as far as just this past year. You went to Europe. Was this and was yeah. that your first trip to Europe? It was my first trip as a musician for sure yeah um and uh you went with olivia rudine i did who we had on episode three um she uh she and i have done a lot of touring and and stuff together she's my best friend and and uh and we've done a lot of touring together in the last couple years she's uh she's really an incredible person to work with musically and and uh and, and we had a lot of fun um in uh in in europe together uh we basically booked it all ourselves and it was there were some parts of it that were tough sledding but um, but it was a hell of an experience and we got to play some really, some really cool shows. So did you see benefit? And, and again, going to Europe, there's some overhead that there's not when you're going to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Did you see benefit in, in the overhead? Money, right. yeah. I'll tell you what I would, I'm, I'm going to parrot what I've been told by the people who I know who, who go over to, to either, either to, you know, the Australia thing or, or Europe, um, regularly. It's one time does you no good. You got to go out there and do it a bunch. You got to go out there and it's it's just like touring in the States. Yeah. You're building a fan base. And it, so if you're willing to go out there and make the investment to go out there 10 times, you know, the 10th time you do it, like you're going to be playing a good show in front of a good crowd. With, you know, I mean, like it really is a little bit easier to build an audience outside of the United States, especially as an American artist. Yeah. But you can't just do it once. You got to commit to kind of doing it a bunch. And I'm, uh, like I said, I'm just, I'm parroting what I've been told because I've only done one European tour. We made some friends, we made some fans. It was really good, but a lot of the shows weren't super well attended and it was a struggle to book them. You know, next time around, it's going to be a lot easier because we have some friends and some contacts and some people who want to see us play, but it's, you're building something just like anything else. Just like anywhere else. Do you think it was worth it to go out there that you had a great time? Absolutely. Ex- yeah. I, yeah. I can't wait to do it again. What's the audience and, and, and try to be as subjective as possible. 
what is or wait did i mean to say objective Try to be as objective as Try po- to be as opinionated as you can. No, uh, try to be as objective <laughs> as possible. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> uh, I knew what you meant. When you go out, when you go out to, uh, when you were playing in Europe, was there a difference in the average audience member? Yes. Um, okay. By and large, the people that we played for in Europe were not they didn't have as good a sense of humor. Uh, or maybe like, just different, different discourse. Well, yeah, I mean, like, what we were told when we went and played in the Netherlands, the guy, the, one, of the, the, one of the promoters who has become a friend since, since then, um, he was basically just like, look, we don't, the whole, like, telling jokes on stage thing, like, we don't laugh when people tell jokes. Even if we think it's funny, like, we'll just kind of nod our heads and, like, listen. We're interested in listening. We don't, you know, we're not the, like, we don't heckle and we don't, you know, make noise when we watch a show. And that was our experience pretty much everywhere because, you know, a big part of me and Olivia playing together is, you know, her making fun of me mostly. And it makes people laugh usually, at least in the States it does. Right. Um, they didn't laugh at it all. It made me laugh on a couple t- <laughs> occasions where... I've played with you guys as well in a in a trio setting, sure. a songwriter round. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I'm easy to make. You're fun an of, easy target, man. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um, uh, but yeah, they didn't. They were not amused. Like they thought that she was being mean to me or something. I don't know, but uh, I can't picture Olivia being mean to a, to <laughs> right? a fly. Like, but. Yeah, to anybody. But um, no, but uh, they they are also a little. They're more attentive. In general, not 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 all the way across the board, but in general, they were a little bit more attentive. Attentive, they were a little more interested. Why do you think that is? Honestly, it might it it really might just be the fact that we're foreign. It really just might be the fact that we're Americans. You know, I yeah. don't know, but it but I think it's possible. Um, but and, and maybe it's just that there's a culture of scarcity there. That there are that, you know that 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 there are fewer good musicians touring or something. I don't know. I, 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 it fascinates me because I've heard it from a lot of people and I wonder if it's the population of the place you're playing or, or how often they get live music or that you're American yeah. or um, perhaps that it's people don't go out as much and it's more of a treasure when someone right. comes to town. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe that is the case, though I found, especially in, in some of the larger cities, that people definitely go out a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I, anyway, I get the impression, and and I got this impression actually even more so in Australia when I was there than it, than than we did in Europe. That like people really dug the fact that I was American <laughs> for like no reason. It was you know like there was no through no uh, particular merit of my own. It was just something that they were excited about the fact that there was an American artist. On, yeah, you know, on the stage. Excited about an accent. Yeah. Are, are you? Did you find that there were any great music that scenes uh that you found when you were touring in europe that you might equate to it may, maybe not nashville mm-hmm. or or la but maybe like a portland or a denver or something berlin is one of the best music cities on the planet mm. um it really is a spectacular scene um uh we found uh paris is pretty cool uh we i mean we we uh we went. We actually attended a show. We went and saw David Ryan Harris um, play in Paris, and it was totally like a. It felt like going to a show, and yeah, and like in Portland or something. Um, let's see. I mean, 
really in Germany, it felt like Berlin was kind of the only place that really felt like it was like a music city, you know? Um, and I think that's kind of what it's talked about. Um, France, it didn't feel that way at all. It felt very exclusive. Um, it, it really like we, it, I don't know that we had a bad reception necessarily, but getting booked in France was super hard and, uh, and, and they don't really care about Americans there by and large. That, mm. that, that was our experience. Um, the Netherlands, um, pretty much every little small town in the Netherlands was, was a rad little market. Like we played, I don't know, three or four shows there. Um, and they were all like smaller town. Well, we played in Amsterdam one night, but like all of them were cool little music towns. Like I think the Netherlands is a, is a good place to target as a, as a tour spot. And let me ask you this too. How did you manage to smuggle merch? Olivia did. Uh, she just brought it. She just brought it on her, you know, in in her suitcase or whatever. She brought some, you know, just some basic stuff, not a ton. A few, a few. I think she brought a few T-shirts, maybe, or um, you know, some CDs, things like that. I didn't bring any merch. They didn't which ask was a any questions. Thing. Now, in customs, they don't. Uh, we're small time. We're you know, tiny small potatoes you know like they, they really didn't care about that kind of thing uh however in australia again um i was detained for about two hours and the artist the artist that i was uh playing for and opening for uh there had to basically call the people at at you know their customs office their immigration office and like lie in order to get me out of my detention there um, because I, all, all I said was, yes, I'm a musician and I will be playing shows. They looked at my visa and they're like, oh, he doesn't have a visa for that. And they detained me until he called and lied and said that I was playing for free. Um, <laughs> so I think, uh, and, and I think in Europe it was the kind of thing. So if like, you could go back again, you would say I'm just visiting. If I could go, if I could do either one of them again, I would get a proper visa. I would do the paperwork right and and really do it by the book because I think it's worth doing it that way. Yeah, sure. Um, because we got lucky in Europe that so much of it was so informal and it was all cash, and so we didn't really have to deal with much. But if we went and did it again and actually made real money, because we basically broke even in Europe, um, but. And it was, and it was, and everything was, was cash, was, was handled by cash. But if we were to go and actually start, you know, um, playing shows with more substantial guarantees that were delivered by check or credit card, then absolutely it is worth getting the visa. It's not a hard visa to get from, from what I understand. I don't know. I haven't gotten it, but I've been told by the people that have, that it's really not that big of, not that big of a hassle and it's worth doing it to avoid the risk. Yeah. Good. All good stuff to know. I think if you're a, a musician listening to the podcast, if if you're listening to the podcast, there's a good chance you're a musician. Right. Um, this is this is great info. It can be done as a small indie artist. You can, can travel the world and play music and make money or at least break even on your plane ticket. <laughs> um, before we part ways, yeah. I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about Music Cares, of yes. which you are an ambassador. Yeah, uh, it's... <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 everybody has the has that has that thing or those things where like you kind of squirm because you don't want to say it out loud because it feels like you're talking yourself up or it's embarrassing. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But talk I, yourself up, baby. Uh, okay. Earlier this year, uh, I became a music uh, like I don't know. A couple months ago, I became a music cares ambassador, which basically just means that um, I'm a person who supports music cares, and they have allowed me to talk about them in public. <laughs> uh, the music cares is the 
charitable arm of the Grammy Academy, right? The people that run the Grammys, the Recording Academy is 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 really what they're called. Yeah. Um, and they uh, and what they do is they um, provide financial uh, or logistical help for musicians in need or music people in need. So it's musicians as well as sort of the ancillary people around us, uh, industry folks. And it's the, they'll send people to rehab, um, if they have drug and alcohol issues or, you know, um, they, uh, at, at every major festival and awards show, they set up a safe Harbor room, uh, at, in, during, in the backstage area. That's how I got introduced to music cares was I was playing, um, Bohemian nights in Fort Collins and they set up a safe Harbor room there for, for everybody who plays. If you want to be sober as a musician there, like you can go there and there's an AA meeting and some coffee or whatever, rather than the booze and the nonsense that happens at most backstage places. Wow. Um, they also provide emergency medical, like, you know, bill support or honestly, when I moved to Nashville, I was having a hard time finding work and I was, I was, I was in a really tough spot financially and I wasn't able to pay my rent. And so I, I hit up music cares and they paid my rent for a month and they bought me some groceries and like they helped really? me through a really difficult financial period. They are, they are our safety net and nobody knows about them. It's crazy. And so that's basically my job as their ambassador is to just let other musicians know like, hey, this is a thing that's available. It is so useful and they are so like kind hearted and they don't hassle you about anything like they are, you know, I, I, you, you got to prove that you're a real music person you know you have to provide and it's not a high bar to clear or anything but you know they ask you questions about like okay what have you done as a musician like what what qualifies you to you know receive aid as a music person but really as long as you can as long as you can sort of provisionally prove that like yes this is what i do this is my life you know this is i'm trying i'm i'm taking a shot you know, or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of the music world. Then like they're there to support you because we don't have that in other ways. It's a really cool, it's a really cool concept um, that someone cares and can step in and help just, just by merit of I'm giving this thing a go that shows how much value um, that an organization, an organization like that puts into art. Yeah. And especially in a time where I think we're in an interesting period of history where it seems like everyone's doing art, mm-hmm. right? And I know to a lot of people, it's the same thing with the population of Denver and Nashville. Like, would you please leave? <laughs> um, but there's something super cool about it um, yeah. that everybody's doing art. And sure, maybe it saturates the market in some ways, but at the same time, as a whole, I think it's uh, much more powerful. Look, there is a direct correlation with every time a civilization has reached its peak in the history of humanity, there is a correlation between the advancement of that society geopolitically and the advancement of the arts in that society. Yeah. Right. Every single time we have reached maximum efficiency for what we can be as a people at that time, technologically or whatever, you know, the Roman Empire, the you know the Athenian Greeks the um, uh, you know uh, even even America in the you know uh, in the early part of the 20th century um, every time we reach greatness uh, you know the, the the Renaissance in Italy um, there is there can be seen the presence of 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 an oversaturation of art right and it's because 
maybe it's just because like we don't have to struggle so much so we have to find meaning <laughs> you know we've got to find a reason to exist so we dig deep in our souls and we figure some shit out yeah i don't know why but but i think but 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 it, it can't be overstated that that it's important right it's better very to have important. too much music than not than enough. not enough and and music cares has you were saying they have a at certain places when you were playing Bohemian Nights, they had like a mm-hmm. sober backstage. Was it a yeah. different backstage than your normal? It's like there was a, a normal backstage, the side, and then you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a it's a little area that they you know cordon off or whatever, and they kind of have it as you know the music cares safe harbor room, you know, and they you know they they just it's no it's booze not, in that room. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a place where there's no booze and drugs to worry about, you know, I mean, because it can be really tough to stay sober on the road. They also, if you're a you know if you're a touring artist or whatever, like you know it sometimes they have they have put uh, a sober buddy on the road with a touring musician to like help them stay sober there's a uh, there's another organization called send me a friend hmm. um and it's started by anders osborne and he actually no paired way. up with oscar blues brewery and it's it's that exact thing where you can uh, you can call somebody and talk to somebody uh and there's representatives i guess maybe you call them ambassadors in every town and uh, mm-hmm. you could be one in oh. Nashville where somebody's touring through town and they need, and, and it doesn't matter if you're playing coffee shops or stadiums, mm-hmm. you need somebody to come and watch your show, hang out with you on the set breaks. Mm-hmm. That's what they're there for. And that's what the whole organization is that dedicated is really cool. to. That is, yeah, I mean, that's that, that's remarkable. I, I, I want to I hear more about that because that's the, that's the, as sober musicians, we, there's a there's a sort of a unique set of circumstances that we have to navigate that other sober people don't and other musicians don't um and uh and 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 it can be extremely difficult and there's a lot of relapse and a lot of death that happens in music you know uh, with 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 drug abuse and drug addiction and uh it's an it's an ugly thing it's one of the hardest things in our world right um and it's killed off a whole hell of a lot of brilliant artists before their time yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's a really cool, that's a really cool thing that these organizations are doing. And I'm glad yeah. you're glad you're a part of it. Um, so thanks. For, is, <laughs> is that our indent? Uh, yeah, By the yeah. way, I wasn't telling you to stop talking. I was telling you to get closer to the mic. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I thought you were, I thought you were signaling like, okay, this, this shit needs to be over now. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Dinner's ready. No, no, that's not what I, but then I, I saw you back up from the mic even more. Oh, really? And I was like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Um, well, that's cool that you're part of that. And if, yeah. and if it's okay with you and okay with them, I'll include a link uh, to Music Cares in the description of the podcast. Yeah, please. Um, and I would also like to include uh, links where people can find your music. What's mm-hmm. your preferred sure. outlet or outlets? Um, I'm most active social media-wise on Instagram. Um, and uh, on Instagram and Twitter, I'm just at Samuel Lee Rock. Um, certainly there's, you know, there's YouTube and Facebook and stuff too, but... Uh, that's with two L's Samuel at, you know with the L at the end and then another Lee with L, the L Lee. at the beginning yeah, right, okay yeah. at Samuel Lee Rock is where we can find you on Instagram and Twitter do you have a do you have a, a website just a personal yeah, webpage yeah just samuellemusic.com okay I'm mm-hmm. gonna put um, and also with two L's <laughs> yeah you know what you know what I, you know what I would say Listen to me on Spotify. That's the thing. Yeah, Spotify's right? the Spotify's thing. the Spotify's the the jam. Uh, yeah. Well, and you got to be on everything these days. Yeah. 
um, well, listen to give Samuel Lee some hits on his website, <laughs> like some photos on his Instagram, laugh at his bad jokes on Twitter, and listen to his music to help his numbers on Spotify. There it is. And be sure to check out Music Cares as well. Yes. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, dude. All right, there you have it. Samuel Lee, the first episode of 2019 in the books. Once again, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, complaints, <laughs> death threats, hate mail, you can get a hold of me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. We have a new episode coming out every other Thursday, so stay tuned, subscribe, all that good crap if you like what you're hearing, and we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.